Hi, this is Yuri Nair. Welcome to the Awkward Mind Podcast. If you're here, you must be interested in developing your mind and improving your life through self-education. Unfortunately, developing your mind can be a real struggle when you're constantly being bombarded with negative digital noise from those pesky devices all around us. To tell you the truth, I felt frustrated myself until I discovered three simple steps to declutter my mind from that digital noise. And now I wanted to share those steps with you in the hope that it'll give you the tools to tune out the noise so that you can better focus on the things that will nurture and improve your mind. For that, I put together a free video series that walks you through the simple process of decluttering your mind from the digital noise. Are you ready to get rid of the negative clutter for good and tune into your real mind? Then head to awkwardmind.com to grab your free video series now and start your journey to a better mind today. And now, let's get on to the show. Hi, this is the Awkward Mind Podcast. I'm Yuri Nair. My guest today is Dr. John Shaman. In 1978, Dr. Shaman set up the first private practice in Canada, specializing in cardiac rehabilitation and sports medicine at his Breslau Clinic, the Ontario Aerobic Center. Since then, over 56,000 patients have undergone assessments and treatments at the clinic. Dr. Shaman offers a formal cardiac rehabilitation program focusing on exercise, education, diet modification, and other components necessary to help cardiac patients recover and live a full and active life. Some of the sports medicine patients have ranged from professional athletes and Olympic medalists to weekend warriors and young hopefuls. He's believed to be one of the first lifestyle doctors in the world, and certainly the first in Canada. He had to talk about his work in cardiovascular health, and his invention, the medical harmonica, is the man himself, Dr. John Shaman. Dr. Shaman, welcome to the Awkward Mind Podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much, Yuri. It's good to have you. So tell us, before we jump into all the, all the medicine stuff, what was it like growing up in Canada? Well, I think it was probably all over the world, very different than now. Uh, I think that uh, I remember we had a very close-knit family situation, a lot of family dinners and uh, extended family cousins and this kind of thing. And uh, we didn't have a lot of the things that we have nowadays. Uh, things were kept for long periods of time. Uh, in the early days when I got a camera as a child, that camera was good for about 20 years. Uh, now you buy a camera, it's out of data about uh, two months later. So it was a wholesome place to be. And uh, I must say, uh, I prefer it, for, prefer it to the way it used to be. Mm. So you think we, we've lost something in, in this over-commercialized world? Oh, I think so. I think so. And I think that even in my line of work, uh, where we look after the health and well-being of our patients, the modern-day world that we live in makes it a lot harder to look after ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we too too quick to to jump in and just rush 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 and and don't take care of ourselves. But yeah, I'm I'm excited to to unpack some of that because I have, I have a lot of questions about that. 
and what we can do to try to slow down and actually avoid some of the of the challenges that you're seeing in your patients now because of the sort of the modern world. Correct. So, so let's start, I guess, let's start at the beginning. Do you think it's fate that a man named Shaman went into medicine? Well, you know what? Um, I was already in medical practice uh, for several years when a patient brought it up to me and he said, you know, you've got a strange name for a doctor. And I said, what do you mean? Well, it's kind of like saying doctor, doctor. And I, at that point, I realized what he was talking about. And now I, uh, I kind of feel it's kind of cool. Yeah, it's, it's maybe meant to be, but you didn't even realize it. That's right. That's right. Someone, someone was sending you a sign. Yes. So, you know, I guess let's jump right into it because I'm, I was very fascinated to, to read some of the literature and to, and to learn how you got into cardiovascular health and then focused on the lungs. So I know you worked for years on the heart first and trying right. to get it younger, which I didn't even realize that that's an option. So can you talk a little bit about that? How do we, we can actually make a heart younger than it actually is? Well, you know, I think an important concept is aging. And we could look at aging in a number of ways. And certainly we all use aging in two ways. Uh, one is how many candles are on your cake, uh, which is a chronological age. And the second one is how you look in the mirror. And as we get older, we look and see gray hairs and wrinkles and, um, you know, both men and women, but women maybe even more so are looking and worrying about their aging appearance. But the most important concept regarding aging is something totally different than that. And it has to do with function. Uh, if you're 85 and you're functioning at a 59-year-old level, and I see these patients, I can test for that function, uh, then you're not really 85 because your body doesn't know how many candles are on your cake. Your body knows what age you're operating at. Always, as you go on and carry out with your day, it, it feels your age. Now, that can relate really to all the different organ systems in the body. Now, the one that I have most experience with, two of them I have a lot of experience with. One is the cardiovascular system uh, and the heart, of course, uh, having gone into cardiac rehabilitation. And the other one is, having been in sports medicine all these years, is the musculoskeletal system. And we see patients, I see patients, and we see others out there that you might see them that don't look much older than you, but they're limping and using uh, canes and, and whatever else because they've got arthritis or who knows what. So aging really is a functional thing that's most important. And what we found is that in the early days of the clinic, going back to the late 70s and into the early 80s, we crunched some data from our patient numbers. And we found that after a year to a year and a half of being in the cardiac program, we were actually able to achieve a reduction in functioning age with 25 to 27%. So these people were, by definition, the best definition of aging, as I, as I put it, they were 25 to 27% younger. And a similar kind of thing happens with the musculoskeletal system. If you are kind to the musculoskeletal system, and that doesn't mean, kind doesn't mean not using it. It means using it appropriately. Now, long distance running and this kind of thing is an exercise that has always been felt in my days uh, in this line of work uh, to be a good exercise for the heart patient. 
However, I tell patients, if you want to run a marathon, then you do that for your, your head, maybe to some degree for your heart, but it may actually be detrimental to your knees and hips and such. So a lot of long distance runners who, who do exceed the, the more moderate and uh, you know, get, kind of get into the exceptional range, they actually may have uh, wearing out of some joints. So you always have to balance the good that something does versus the bad that it might do. Um, now you mentioned, I don't know if you want me to keep going, you also mentioned the more recent area of aging uh, having to do with the lungs. Did you want me to get into that now? So, or? so before so before we get into the lungs, because it's actually interesting, and I, I want to try to tie it in with the running, because I actually had a gentleman on earlier today. He is 83 years old, young, and he's been running for over 70 years. Wow. And he still runs every day. So I think he can attest, because to me, he doesn't look a day over 60. So I think he can attest to a lot of, a lot of what you're saying. Right. So I bet now, his functional age is, is a lot less than 83. I don't know if you've got a question for me about people in that age group that you're more, more or less targeting, the 30s. If you do, I'll be quiet for now. If not, I want to say something about it. Please, yeah, we can get into it. This is a free-flowing conversation, so okay. absolutely. Well, I, wanted, I wanted to give you this, get a chance to, to talk about this. Uh, now, a lot of people think that heart disease is something that you get when you're old. There is not a 30-year-old, male or female, in North America that doesn't already have the start of heart disease because the main kind of heart disease is called atherosclerosis. It's a fancy name for a disease of the inside of the arteries. And this disease starts in most of us probably before we're teenagers and it builds up over a long period of time. Unfortunately, certain individuals due to circumstances of possibly genetics, possibly behavior that they're taught as a youngster, uh, or maybe living in a household where smoking is common. These are all factors that increase your chances. And I have had patients in their lower 20s that have had full-fledged heart attacks, the same ones that we see in patients that are 89 years old. So I just wanted to make sure that your audience, which may well be younger men, are aware that they need to look after their hearts now. They don't wait until they have a heart attack. It's too late then. So let's unpack some of that then, doctor, if you don't mind. What do we, what do, we do? Well, Because there's no magic pill, right? No. Uh, as a matter of fact, if somebody could be motivated enough, and who might be motivated? It might be someone who does have a family history of early heart disease. I've had many patients come to me and say, you know, doc, uh, I hope you can help me whatever way possible to change the odds of my chance of a heart attack. There have been no males in my family, uh, aunts, uncles, uh, not aunts, I guess, but uncles, aunts wouldn't be so likely. But anyway, certainly uh, they had no male relatives that made it past 50 without dying of a heart attack. So they say, well, what can I do? And I say, well, you need to do what I recommend for the patients who have already had heart trouble. Now, why would we recommend the same thing? Because if somebody has a heart problem and they survive it, the big problem that they face is really another one coming down the line. So someone who's never had one and someone who's had one that is worried about another one are not that different in a sense. And it involves an aggressive lifestyle change. Now, what would that involve? 
Well, we have this program called the Heart Disease Reversal Program. Uh, it was designed in the early 90s in our clinic, although a Dr. Dean Ornish, whose name is not unfamiliar to many, uh, he's a world icon really, because he showed in the early 90s, actually in 1989 initially at the American Heart Association annual meeting in New Orleans, he showed that his data uh, supported the fact that aggressive lifestyle change in high-risk cardiac patients who were already diagnosed with bad arteries and heart attacks, et cetera. And they showed an 80, a 90 some odd percent chance of reversing that blockage. So if somebody were willing to go hard enough at lifestyle, and I'll talk about what those factors are, to go at that aggressively, they have the chance of actually reversing what artery disease you've got. The problem is that the modern world loses sight of these kinds of things because they're not easy. And a lot of people who have looked at this and even doctors that might have been in tune with this in the 80s, late 80s and into the 90s and such, they've fallen off the wagon because they see it's too difficult to get people to do this. Why? Because mm -hmm. a normal doctor, how long does it take to write a prescription? Not very long. And they can have the patient out the door and onto the next patient. I mean, no matter how you look at it, doctors, like every other person who's employed, is concerned about, you know, their paycheck. And if you spend a lot of time with people, as you have to in my line of work, you don't do financially very well, especially in our socialized medical system where you only have so many minutes, the patient in and out, or if you spend more time, you may not even have enough money to pay for your staff if you spend too much time with the patient. Uh, so that's the problem. A lot of doctors find it so convenient to write a prescription. The patient's out the door and it has them back again in a month to see how that prescription's doing for them. Or on the other hand, if you're a surgeon, it's so easy to book the operating room date for a triple bypass and the patient comes back at that time and in the U.S., that would be a lot sooner than it would be in Canada because we have longer waiting lists. And when that patient has this procedure, they wake up from their anesthetic and they feel fixed. They're fixed. Their problem is fixed. The surgeon fixed it. Well, the surgeon fixed the immediate problem that was there at that time. But the surgeon didn't even make a dent on the problem, which is what started all of this and what continues to go uh, brew in this patient. So I have all kinds of patients where a bypass lasted less than a year. Now, many, it's much longer. The, the data used to show a bypass gives people five to seven years. If they don't go about the business of looking after the problem, that same process that caused the trouble in the first place is going to keep continuing right the day after they get, or the day of their bypass is continuing. So, Someone who really wants to tackle this problem at a young age and, and if got a strong family history, or if they're the kind of person that really would like to do everything possible to stay away from this disease in, later in life, they would look at a concept uh, program that's very similar to what we call the heart disease reversal program, which includes exercise, low fat vegetarian diet, group support and stress management. The full conversation is now available to watch on our YouTube channel. Just follow the link in the show notes. Thanks, that's all, and goodbye for now.